often people describe the promotion criteria as a hidden curriculum. And certainly if you don't understand how the committees work or the deans work in thinking about promotion, how do you make sense of why A went forward and B didn't? Hi, everybody. You're back at the Faculty Factory, and I'm really pleased to say hi again to my friend, Dr. Maureen Connolly. Hi, Maureen. Great to see you, Kim. Thanks so much for having me back. Well, friends, uh, Dr. Connolly was with us at episode number 80 back in July of 2020. And Dr. Connolly was new as a Senior Associate Dean for Academic and Community Affairs at the new Kaiser Permanente Bernard J. Tyson School of Medicine in Pasadena, right, Maureen? That's correct. It's a mouthful, and it's an amazing place. Well, we can't wait to hear the updates since, uh, again, that was COVID when you first talked with us, and you were putting installing your new class in July, and you shared with us how you went about setting up your office and getting a whole new school up and running. And you talked about really interesting things. Again, folks, back on episode number 80, you might want to take a listen back there. Dr. Connolly talked about data capacity, the base of the office, and how important Maureen said it was to have the service mentality. She talked about academic career advisors and personal career development and governance. So there was a lot of really fundamental, foundational um, topics that uh, Maureen discussed with us. And today, Maureen, before um, before you get into your topic, make sure I got your title, if there's anything new about your title and what you're doing there at Kaiser, but then just kind of launch us into a really timely and important conversation today that I think everyone's going to be interested in hearing, not only leaders, but faculty, because we are having the same conversations here at Hopkins, but lead us off, Maureen, with, again, reminding everybody what you're doing there at Kaiser and your role and your title. Well, thanks again, Kim. So great to be with you and the community who really appreciates this great podcast that you do. Um, So I'm the Senior Associate Dean for Academic and Community Affairs. Under academic affairs, it's really faculty affairs and thinking about all issues faculty. And community affairs really focuses on the broad... Um, ideas of community engagement. So global health is a piece of it, but global means next door as well. So really looking at our local LA and Pasadena community, as well as um, all our global health opportunities. So, but today I'm really excited to talk to you specifically about faculty issues. And one issue that I've been thinking about a lot over the past couple of years and had the opportunity to work with colleagues around the country, promotion criteria. And you know, how do we recognize and reward our communities for the great work they do? And believe me, I'm not alone. I don't bring a lot of original ideas to this. I'm just learning from our community about the ways in which we can reimagine how we want to um, recognize people. So, well, thank uh, you so much for, um, first of all, putting that brain to work and thinking about this and not... Um, putting it aside because it's such an important issue and even more so on the heels of this pandemic, struggling to recognize the yeoman's effort that so many of our faculty have shifted and dropped and had to drift from um, the academic promise of research to save and serve the global community, as you put it. So we struggle here at Hopkins too with making sure that we are recognizing and providing opportunities for our faculty to feel valued and contribute to the science. So I cannot wait to hear what you're doing at Kaiser or what you're thinking about doing. 
Yeah, no, we're, we are thinking about this a lot. And I'm glad you brought up COVID because I think we have had a, a real turn that pushes us to think about sort of two pandemics, really. It's been COVID and it's been the greater appreciation and recognition of the impact of racism and particularly anti-Black racism, kind of as an underpinning of so much of academia that we have entered and are part of and have opportunities to make changes in. So it's been sort of a dual pandemic in a way, I think, and that that creates opportunity. You know, I I always think, and one of the attractions of coming to a new school for me was you never get to say we always did it that way. <laughs> there's no we always did it that way. So there's a chance to kind of start from scratch. And um, but that being said, we are encumbered a bit by the ways in which we think about advancement and promotion. And um, and so I think it's finding a sweet spot. I mean, we appropriately work with the LCME and the WMC to understand expectations, um, whether it's around scholarship, pathway programs. There are so many elements that are associated with our accreditation appropriately. So we at least have that guidance, but I feel like there's so much more we can be doing. And we're thinking hard about this. We have a phenomenal appointments and promotions committee here at what we call KPSOM, the shorthand for our school. Um, And they're asking all the right questions that a new school should be asking. You know, what, uh, where does merit fit versus time and rank? And what do accomplishments that don't fit the typical norm of peer-reviewed scholarship fit? How do we account really for the science of integration, implementation, application? We, we speak to it, but we haven't totally figured out where does that fit on the CV? And so, so we're grappling with some of those issues and, um, and I'll just share some things that I've been thinking about. Please interrupt me. But, um, you know, one thing I got from a very uh, powerful WMC session a few years ago was letting the mission drive your promotion criteria. And if they're disassociated, then we're not doing the right thing. And I feel very fortunate to be at a school that's so committed to equity, inclusion, diversity, uh, to community, um, and, and really to think about population health. And so one of the things that we have to think about is, are we rewarding the things that our mission says we're supposed to do? Um, and when we built our promotion criteria, we did build them around um, topics like that. We felt that everyone had to make a statement about their contributions to the mission, vision, and value. And we felt that it was very important that we Uh, gave people the opportunity, obviously, to recognize their scholarship, but their teaching, their service, um, that there was a statement um, of integrity that we thought that was an important element to integrate. So we tried to bring maybe some of the less traditional aspects to um, the criteria. And I feel very um, privileged to have participated in the National Academy of Science and Engineering and Medicine's uh, two planning committees that have been looking at this issue of how do we rethink promotion and tenure, particularly in STEM, so more broadly than medical schools. Um, We had a terrific session this past fall um, that was called The Next Normal, and it was um, promotion, tenure, and advancement thinking about the impact of uh, COVID, but also of racism and other isms within the academy. And 
there were some very provocative approaches that people raised about trying to level the playing field. Um, we brought speakers from all over the country and from many different disciplines, including medicine, of course. Um, but, you know, looking at not just the criteria, but even the systems, there were attendees who talked about um, the kind of faceless aspects of promotion. If you're a faculty member, why is it if that everything is behind a wall? And shouldn't faculty get more feedback about if they're not making it, why not? Um, when people aren't accountable for the decisions they're making, then we have no way of knowing what bias went into those decisions or how to challenge that bias. And this is something I'm thinking about a lot. I don't want to say we have figured this out by any means. We bring department chairs in to hear feedback about their candidates, and that's but that's a step away from the candidates themselves. So, so I think one opportunity we have is to look both at the criteria, but also um, at the mechanisms. Can we be somewhat more transparent in a way that allows people to be candid and uh, in supportive ways, really frank with each other about what will meet the bar and what won't? Um, I think often people describe the promotion criteria as a hidden curriculum. And certainly if you don't understand how the committees work or the deans work in thinking about promotion, how do you make sense of why a went forward and B didn't. So. Oh, Maureen, thank you so much. That is just so important. And I'm so glad that you're asking those hard questions, the potentially controversial questions and ripping that curtain back. Why do we keep it such a secret? Why? What is the reason for making this such an exclusive members only club that we can't know how decisions are being made. We For NIH, there's nothing more valuable, people tell you, that, than watching a study section and do seeing how the study section happens and how the conversations are had and watching that process, watching courts or big trials to see the process the way we think. And yet you're so right, this archaic model of closed door, tight lip. Yeah. can't say anything to you. Why? Uh, why can't we just blow it open? Why is it a mystery? Why do we hold so fast to this is just tradition? And I love that you are in this position of there's, we can blow up the whole this is, but this is the way we've always done it. We have hundreds of years of tradition that this is how it should be. Well, why? I love that. Thank you so no. much for doing that. Well, and I want to be clear, we haven't blown it all up yet. We certainly have a committee um, that has confidentiality around their decision making, but it's something that I really am grateful to think about with our department chairs and with our committee. Um, you know, you brought up study section. I think that's a great example where at least you get pink sheets, you get feedback from the study section, um, and the, you may not be able to attribute it. You see in black and white what um, people thought of your submission. And I think um, my experience has been that these committees are so busy managing promotion that often the feedback loop doesn't exist with the candidate. Um, and, you know, our school very much subscribes to the concept of a growth mindset that we want to acknowledge when there have been challenges and create opportunities for growth and change. And I think figuring out how to close that loop to bring the candidate somewhat in more to make their case giving them the tools to make their case probably has real advantages for us in getting rid of the paradigms that have kept probably many people out of the advancement process. Again, I'm so excited because everybody wants to promote everybody else. So some, so there's a couple of ways of thinking about this. In our committees, 
every time we do a promotion session here at Hopkins, we remind the faculty members in attendance, we want you to be promoted. It's not as if the, the promotions committees have a certain limited number of people they can promote every year. And it's a competition to see that oh, we can only let 10 get through. No, they want to see people promoted. So if you committee members want to promote faculty and faculty members want to be promoted, let's just come together and figure out how to make this happen without having the guessing game. And then another thing that excites me is when you blow open and make everything transparent, uh, maybe then people are also on their best behavior and watching committee members, now watching what they say and how they judge and maybe um, disbanding with the groupthink kind of mentality that maybe sometimes happen when someone says a comment and the others are too busy to know. And so they'll trust that person's judgment, just like on the study section where someone could say, well, I don't like that study because of that shop does this or that. And somebody else would say, well, I, I don't really see that. I mean, you know, you get what I'm getting, like politics. And then I'm also, oh, what was that? I just lost track of thought for a second there. Oh, I said this before in the podcast. Oh my gosh, why does Amazon.com care more about me as a customer than Hopkins cares about faculty to the whole point of informing you and communicating with you where you are in the process? Like Amazon's all about... We saw you place the order. We were fulfilling the order. We're shipping the order. Uh, we delivered the order. Do you want another thing that looks just like that? But kind of is it? They they're on it. And I, people are always like, "Well, Kim, you know, don't be an idiot. They're making money off of you." But guess what? Hopkins is making money off of us too, right? Like, how come you can't say, "Hey, Kim, guess what? We got your packet. You know, we're thinking about it. We sent the request for letters out. We got two letters in. We're waiting for eighteen more. I mean, something like that." And so we. We're trying to do that department level, but there's so many things that it just takes a couple of people to go, huh? What, why are we? Why do we insist on these external letters of recommendation that are the things that hold us up at Hopkins that take sure. so long to get those letter writers? Why do we, let's rethink the letter process? How do we solicit the letters? How do we? What do we expect of the letter writers? I know it's in most of these letters are just regurgitating what's in the CV. I mean, there's just so much to be had there. So I'm just so appreciative of you keeping this conversation on the table. Right. No, I think I don't have the answers. I have the questions, I think, and are really um, impressed by my colleagues who are thinking of doing things differently. And I'm so glad you brought up that point. I, I will just say in my prior role as Dean for Faculty Affairs at Harvard, we did develop a, a package tracker. So once candidates' materials came to the medical school, they could see Half the letters are in, you're scheduled for committee. And I feel like that was opening the black box a bit. It was homegrown, terrific uh, data analysts built this system for us. The challenge was that everything that preceded something coming to the medical school that took place at the department level was not transparent. And obviously, because I mean, departments are busy, they, you know, so I, I think this goal of trying to be as clear as possible to people about what's going on, it makes a lot of sense. And I'll just say, we've taken a different approach to letters here. Um, we, uh, a group of us at, at Harvard, uh, led by Jonathan Matsui, had done a sort of a, a assessment over the GFA listserv about how many letters institutions get and the challenges of letters and found that, you know, maybe we're, maybe there's a bit of overkill when we're looking for dozens of letters. And so here at um, KPSOM, we have decided to use a brief survey that we send to our evaluators. And um, 
you know, we encourage them to be to the point and brief. I know there's a lot of reading the tea leaves in these letters and what word was left out. But so we've tried to be quite specific and ask the questions that completely align with our criteria. One in the hopes of getting them back more quickly. So it's a form, type in your info. And we're not the only institution doing this. I feel like we've had pretty um, good response rates and it's not felt as burdensome to people if I were projecting on why they're coming back more quickly. So I think that's another way we can accelerate the process and uh, support people. Oh, oh, that's awesome. 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 Thank you so much. You said something earlier that made me um, kind of triggered something for me from a meeting yesterday. You said, let the mission drive the promotion criteria. And you said, are we rewarding what our mission says we do in terms of promotion? And talk to us about, are you measuring what, like what, how the measurement of things? So yes, it's, of course, are we rewarding what our mission says we do, but then are we measuring what we're, you know, what are we measuring in terms of rewarding? So if you're measuring primarily RVU generation and rewarding that and incentivizing people to generate more RVUs, guess what you're, guess what you're, you're, it's just a habit. You're rewarding people by seeing more patients, and then maybe not delivering on the promise of academic medicine. If you're giving an annual possible, you know, salary compensation to like $20,000 to do more research, but if they see more or review more films or slides in neuroradiology, they can earn them up to $100,000 a year. It's obvious what your message is, is that you're, you're measuring something that says RVUs when you're trying to say, but we'll give you an extra 20 grand for a bonus if you if you get a paper published. Can you talk about what we measure and how that fits into the whole reward structure? Well, you know, I, I, such a good point, Kim. And I think that a, a wise department chair I previously worked with said at one time, you know, there are many rewards in academia. Some of its titles, some of its finances, some of it is promotion um, and opportunity. So. Um, I think that the RVU driven aspects of academic medicine is very real. And for some people, that's what makes them get up in the morning. They are um, encouraged by the rewards that come with that. But as a rule, we don't reward that aspect with academic promotion. So I think it's um, important to be sure that not only are we clear about what we want to reward with promotion, um, but that we make it possible for people. So if you have to meet certain RVUs, that mean there's no time ever to write a paper. And that's all you care about on the promotion side there's a complete disconnect there. And I think it's, you know, it's the fundamental challenge of our work, I think, working in academic medicine, which is so different from faculties of arts and sciences and other, other groups. So that's right. It is. It's just the perennial challenge of being under-resourced and not being able to pay faculty the salaries that they can get in private practice. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, how do you do all that? How do you balance the academic mission with the keeping the ship afloat kind of mission. And that's, that's so hard. And then feeling, making, making sure you are rewarding faculty for their contributions, but also not disincentivizing a certain element of what they do. That's right. And I think it's trade-offs. I mean, all we have is our time. So we have to figure out how people are going to balance that. Um, I will say we have colleagues at uh, Cincinnati Children's, Rebecca Kahn, excuse me, and others, um, who've really presented a very interesting poster at a AAMC meeting about personalized promotion criteria. The idea that an individual could come to the committee and say, 
these are my priorities. This is the work I want to do. What would the metrics be to give me the reward of assistant associate full professor? And I do think that that's a way for the person who is maybe more motivated by our views to go and say, this is how I'm going to spend my time. Does this fit into the reward system of the academy? And I mean, in most situations, I think the answer is no in, in that case. But I think that there are people who have we have very different and sort of multi-purpose kind of jobs. And if a committee could say, well, you know, you really need to balance things out in ways that um, reflect more what we're trying to achieve as a school. It's not just RVUs. We want to generate the next generation of leaders and physicians and scientists and scholars. We want to make sure we're serving the community. We want to advance our EID mission. So I think that that conversation, you know, often we set criteria and I'll say we have set criteria here at our school. Um, But what about the idea of saying, I want to take a different path. Can we allow that? I, I was very impressed and inspired by that. And I'll also mention Olin College, which is an engineering and science school in Massachusetts, um, has looked at sort of a weighting system using a rubric where you may have a little more in the teaching, maybe a little less in the scholarship, a little more in the service. And I think that trying to find a way to set the balance um, where some people may just do more in one direction than another. And as long as we want to reward that, let's do it and, and make sure we can give credit where it's due. Maureen, that sounds so much like what we've been talking about in precision medicine, precision education, precision faculty development. I mean, this is precision promotion. There you go. Yeah. Right. As long I, I can't admit, it seems to me as long as you make meet the core, like the core criteria and like what is what are the criteria for the criteria are to indicate they're indicators of something. And what is that something? It's, uh, it's thoughtfulness, it's, it's prevention, it's treatment, it's cure, it's, uh, it's, it's science. And so it, that can manifest in many different ways. So why do we insist on, you know, 42 peer-reviewed publications, you know, 13 of them have to be first author, 27 have to be last author, three R01s, and put it these, I don't want to say arbitrary, but the, the criteria that worked in the old the old way of being, you know, the triple threat kind of thing, but that doesn't even exist anymore, right? There's so much other social media and making an impact in different ways that we have failed to keep up with. I think the, you know, is kind of, we're starting to, I think we're all starting to feel that, that push or that um, tension that we are trying to hold fast to the traditional indicators and not allowing the total, the total, like like you said, this personalized promotion criteria that you know, I think Jessica Khan at Cincinnati. Oh no, I really think they are the ones who pioneered that concept. And I, I'm glad you brought up like R01s. If people don't get their first R01 till their 40s, then we're not providing that recognition that you know helps sustain your career and the forward momentum. And I'll tell you, I looked at a great CV of one of our faculty this week who is a really well-known national leader in culinary medicine. And this is someone who's doing podcasts and public speaking and writing books that are accessible to the lay public, but about the connection between medicine and food. They're doing some peer-reviewed scholarship, but it's a much broader profile. And I think 
this is who we want to support. You know, we want people who are thinking about new fields, innovation. Um, I would also just say that one of the beauties of Kaiser Permanente is that there's a very strong emphasis on health systems using evidence-based medicine and quality data to inform approaches. And, um, and we have a department of health system science. So um, finding ways to capture some of that quality work on the scholarship side seems really important and helping faculty translate, you know, if they're increasing access to flu shots, oh. how do we help them document that in a way in a CV? Um, because they're actually having impact <laughs> and, I, I, and it's an important work and it's part of our value system or, you know, our mission. So I, I think those are the um, sweet spots for kind of re-engineering what we do. And I, again, I don't want to pretend we've figured this all out. These are just the provocative questions that get you and me up in the morning to think, how can we do it better? And yeah, you're, this group, this next group of, of um, faculty members at KPSON and around the country, you mentioned community affairs and broadly community, our global and our next door neighbors. How do you measure those things? I think we're going to see some great things. And if we Maybe we could think of some way, some vehicle, maybe through the AAMC GFA, Group on Faculty Affairs, a professional development conference, actually highlight or profile some of these portfolios that get promoted to, yeah. to demonstrate and illuminate the variety and the, the way people um, document their impact. I think that would be a tremendous contribution to see. I'm, I'm reflecting on a faculty member who at our faculty senate meeting a couple of years ago said, my medical practice and my research is in homelessness. I can't get um, letters from my patients attesting to my work. Um, my patients are homeless um, people. So it's hard. I can't even get an address for them. So the fact that he was being held to the standard of, well, what do your patients say about you? And are you getting patients from out of the region? Are patients from around the world be coming to you for care? He's like, seriously, we're talking about homeless. No, I'm not getting any homeless patients from across the country to come to Hopkins because I do great work. And no, they're not going to write me a letter saying that I should be promoted because I'm making an impact on them. So that the examples you just gave about this food. I mean, my gosh, you're making so, our faculty members have so much genius in them. And then we're taking all that genius and smashing it into this model and saying, well, come on, you just have to do this. And they're like, but it's a mold. <laughs> right. No, that's where I love that personalized or precision promotion idea. Yeah. Um, I think it makes so much sense. And I love your idea, Kim, of what if we brought some less traditional CVs um, with permission to the group on faculty affairs and did a workshop around how would your institution's criteria work with someone who doesn't fit the mold? And, and what are the things that we need to change to make it possible? Because, you know, innovation is where we want to go. And, and I want to just say, because I brought up earlier, you know, the issues of racism and all forms of bias that we experience, you know, um, that if we're not including efforts to overcome those issues as things we're going to reward, then we're just perpetuating the system. So I, I think I know the GFA just did a terrific town hall on this issue of trying to make promotion criteria more um, inclusive of EID priorities. 
uh, I think all of us have to take a deep look at what we're doing in that regard. That That's long overdue. Some institutions have done it better than others and we can learn, um, but that's, that's a key factor and we're not gonna be the different place we wanna be unless we reward that. Dr. Maureen Connolly, this has been a wonderful, wonderful time with you. I'm so excited about the work you're doing at Kaiser Permanente School of Medicine and looking forward to some of this innovation being put out there and elevated and lifted up as models for us to take our faculty into the next um, the next season and really do great things and really expand our horizons and, and blow the old models up and improve on the old model, not necessarily blow them up, but kind of, you know, let's go forward. Let's push. This is the time to do it. So thank you so much for sharing all this with us. I'm super excited about it. And I really appreciate you, Maureen. Well, Kim, thank you so much. I love what you do with this podcast. You're perfect at this. And um, I always learn something. So thank you. Uh, yeah, it's not a me. It's a we. We're doing it together. So if you're going to be in a podcast, email me at facultyfactorykim at gmail, facultyfactorykim at gmail. Thanks again, Dr. Connolly. Bye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.